crosstalk, the unintentional transfer of signals between communication channels, a casual conversation. This is Video Game Crosstalk, episode 043, the monthly podcast of gamers talking tech, science, and whatever else comes to mind. I'm your host, Anthony Rossi, and with me this episode is Education and Heritage Coordinator with Discover Albany, Maeve McEnany. Maeve, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, how you doing? I am doing good, and thank you for the phonetic spelling of your name within the show notes. <laughs> yes, at least I think my full married name now is Maeve McEnany Johnson, but uh, I also know that's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> you know what, I've dealt with some uh, some longer screen names if the person wanted to use them, if they're a part of the uh, online community and they prefer to use their gamer tag or something like that oh, there, yeah. There, yeah there's been a couple of mouthfuls uh in the day <laughs> in the past couple of years and numbers and letters and all right kinds of and yeah like i just did a lore video for the destiny franchise and there was one of the entries and i'm trying to be like a proper you know presenter and researcher and credit things where all credit is due and do proper citations but the title for this one entry was just a bunch of symbols. And I'm like, I blank, blank, blank. We're going <laughs> to go with this. <laughs> I'll show the text on screen, uh, but that's as much as I can do for you. So <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll work with it. Great. So we are in what the first month and a half or so of a quarantine uh, uh, across the globe. <laughs> Across the globe. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you first approached me to do this, uh, you and I were having completely different conversations uh, than what we're having now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that happens quite a bit with this podcast because I only produce an episode roughly once a month. And I did take a month or so off just to reacclimate to the new business as usual as temporary mm -hmm. as it may be but i thought it best like let's let's just not worry about the podcast for a little bit let's just recollect ourselves focus yeah. on a few other things make sure everything is solid at home and i'm finally able to, to say okay i think we got this i think well, i can move on and 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 we'll talk about you know with my my work and so much of my work is partnership with museums and cultural institutions and I would say even, you know, two weeks ago, it was hard even having those conversations, but this is a good time to, to reach out because I feel like we're all taking that breath and we're able to talk about a new normal. We're able to look ahead where before, as you say, it was all short-term goals. You know, it, is my family safe? Am I safe? How are our jobs? Uh, but, you know, we're, we're starting to take that breath and, and look ahead. Right. So... Exactly. We're in yeah. agreement on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so what you've been playing? Well, <laughs> right. So, uh, video games. Uh, I've been playing a lot of video games lately. Uh, I okay. 
Final Fantasy remake, though, you know, I have been waiting for this game for 20 years. Like, that's not an exaggeration. Uh, I think it was when PlayStation 2 first was coming out. They were even teasing some remasters. Mm -hmm. So for 20 years, I've been waiting for this game. They delayed it uh, from March to my birthday weekend. And I'm thinking, like, oh, how lucky am I? And then COVID, so beautiful, right? And then COVID hits, and you're like, oh, so I, um, I'm one of those people who really wanted the physical copy, but it was too risky. I'm like, I waited 20 years. So my husband for my birthday bought me the digital copy. And okay. I'm on uh, I'm on chapter 12 right now. Um, I think in the age of COVID, I would have probably been even further along, but I, I have to share the PlayStation with my husband. You know, so uh, he, he's been playing through Persona 5, uh, you know, the, the Royal Edition. Oh, and, nice. Yep. So we've been kind of in this RPG back and forth. Uh, and then when we coach co-op together, it's either Divinity 2 or uh, we downloaded like an old school Sega Genesis you know, oh, okay. yeah. and we say because when things looked better, and it was sort of, <laughs> it was nice to go back to when things were a simpler time. But yeah, so it's it's a lot of um, RPGs in the household right now. Okay, have you been following? And speaking of the simpler time, have you been following, or have you heard anything about in television coming back with their Amico? No, I didn't. I want to know oh, more. Okay. All right. So we can talk about this really quickly. And yeah. you know, this is why we have show notes, right? So we can go completely off script. Yes. <laughs> so, I'm about uh, Tommy Tallarico, who is the man behind Video Games Live, which is a, a touring concert experience with video game music that is rearranged for a a symphony for a yeah. full orchestra. It's fantastic. The guy's been working in video game development and music for I don't know how many decades. And he bought the rights or took over at Intellivision as their CEO. And he worked with a few retro game developers and a few other people. And they are bringing the Intellivision back. And ah. it's with updated, excuse me, updated graphics and all the games are very simple. His main mission is let's bring it back to the simpler time where it's all like couch co-op type stuff. It's very simple controls and it's just focusing on fun because he makes a really good point where a lot of the games coming out, if they're of the AAA title, they are massive, they are huge, mm -hmm. and they are very complicated. Exactly. But yeah. Uh, and I have to agree with them. Being the avid gamer that I am, I don't really consider myself a hardcore gamer. But if I was to introduce someone to a new game, like, I, I would have to give them a brief seminar on how to play video games or how to play this style of game. Because there's just so much that's implicit that I've acquired over the past 30-something years of playing video games where things, things are obvious to me. Right. Well, and there's a there's a great. I wish I could remember the YouTube channel, but it's um, a gentleman. He's playing with his wife, and he's his wife is not a gamer. And okay. but what he does is he gives her games uh, as simple as Portal, or he'll okay. even throw her into um, an MMO like you know like World of Warcraft and those things. And he says there's so much intuitive. Uh, gaming that we take for granted where I know if I'm playing like a side scroller and mm -hmm. I hit a wall, maybe I hit X. Okay. I can climb it. Uh, but for somebody who's never played before, 
it's not, these sort of things are not intuitive. Uh, and even tutorials, and he goes into tutorials even now, just assume that you have some basic play style. Very true. Uh, a few years back, I tried to get my wife, who is not a gamer, to play Child of Light with me. This is oh, yeah. Okay. It's a beautiful game, and we're going through this step. Uh, character menus, and we have upgrade points or skill points to use. And I said, yeah, we got to use our skill points. And she looks at me and says, a what now? Like, yeah. Ah, okay. All right. So we go over here, and you need to invest these. Well, how do I do that? Well, you, you put your cursor over the, the thing, and you press the button. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. Well, what does this do? I'm like, well, you know, this does this. This increases your attack. This increases your defense. You're like, how do you even know that without reading? I'm like, well, it's a sword thingy, and that that's a shield thingy. <laughs> There's even when you grow up, um, you know, so I grew up with Sega Genesis, and I moved on to PlayStation. Mm -hmm. And uh, after I graduated college, you know, I didn't have as much time to play. But when I first met my my husband, I said, oh, yeah, you know, I, I have a PlayStation 2, and, you know, we've been together over 10 years now. And he thought this was kind of cool. So with his like old Radio Shack card, he bought an Xbox 360. <laughs> okay, nice. But, but, but when he gave me the controller, I was like, I don't know how to use this controller. You know, even though it was oh, shaped in, right? And, you know, it was just I had spent from PlayStation 1 to PlayStation 2 with a certain, you know, X and triangle. Like that was a, it was almost like my own language. And he put it in my hand and he said, now play Oblivion. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and this is somebody who I grew up with uh, video games. And it was, I had, I felt like I was learning another language because even the X button or the cross button, whatever you want to name it, uh, was in a different place. It's oh, supposed yeah. to be at the bottom. Right. The X like, button is in a different location on the Xbox, the PlayStation and the old Super Nintendo. Yeah, it was in like a different location. Yeah, I, remember so, playing, uh, I remember playing Madden football with some friends, I don't know, 20 years ago or something like that. And mm -hmm. you know, one of my friend's basement and we're playing and we're playing on the uh, on the PlayStation and I have been playing on Xbox forever. And we're playing and I go to throw a pass and I just ground the ball like i throw it away when this person was like blatantly open and my friend's like what what are you doing x was wide open and i said i know i pressed x on mm -hmm. an xbox controller <laughs> yes yeah um so it's a pretty so i love the idea of kind of uh going back right and to yeah. do that and even as is we were you know we probably downloaded that sega um package within the first or second week of uh, quarantine okay. we didn't know what was going on and it was um it did feel so good to go back and just play something familiar and simple. Oh, sure. And uh, so I think that's a wonderful idea to, um, to, to bring that kind of gaming back and couch co-op. I mean, that's one of the most frustrating things. I don't have a switch and, okay. you know, we're constantly looking for a good couch co-op and I would love to see couch co-op come back. Yeah, so I'll definitely throw that into the show notes once I publish this episode, and I'll yeah. probably send you a trailer just like directly because Beautiful. it's it's such it is such a heartwarming potential, and I've already placed my pre order for it. So holiday yeah. <laughs> season when that comes around, that that'll be great. Definitely. Audible.com is giving listeners of this podcast the opportunity to try out their service for free. 
Simply visit audibletrial.com slash VGXTPod and select from over 180,000 titles for your first audiobook, such as Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. The Emperor Needs Necromancers. The Ninth Necromancer Needs a Swordswoman. Gideon Has a Sword, Some Dirty Magazines, and No More Time for Undead Nonsense. Once again, go to audibletrial.com slash VGXTPod and start your free trial today. So let's get into your specialty area. So we've talked quite a bit about games already, but that's only kind of ancillary of why I invited you on the show. Yeah. You've got a very interesting type of background. So as I said in the intro, education and heritage director for Discover Albany. So first off, what is Discover Albany? Yeah, uh, and some people might know us more on our social media channels, uh, uh, albany.org. Discover Albany is uh, a tourism promotion agency, uh, TPA. Uh, So we are about promoting tourism in Albany, right, to entice visitors to come to uh, see all the wonderful things uh, that there are to do in Albany, as uh, well as, you know, hopefully get them to stay in hotels. Uh, tourism, we know, is a, um, a huge, huge piece of our economy. Uh, so that's one part of what we do, and that's more where I fall in. Uh, there's another arm in Discover Albany, um, and I'll, we'll talk briefly about them, who are also uh, enticing conventions to come here as well. Okay. So uh, now you hear my long title of education and heritage (laughs) coordinator. Um, So uh, when I was first hired, uh, I was hired as the educator for the visitor center. Uh, The Albany Visitor Center is at Quackenbush Square. We have brochures um, and a lot of great information to kind of get you when you first come into Albany to give you an idea of where to go that align with your interests. Okay. Uh, but, but then uh, the city of Albany with under Mayor Kathy Sheehan uh, did this plan. It's called the chat plan, cultural heritage and tourism plan. And oh, it was, yeah. And it was uh, looking at our destination. Why are people coming is because of our rich history, our beautiful architecture. And is there a way that we can all work together as a region to really focus on these heritage tourists? Um, a heritage tourists are the people coming uh, for history and they usually are some of the uh, tourists who are spending the most money because they're going to museums, they're going to local shops, they really want an authentic experience. So I meet with these local museums and we look for themes uh, such as uh, there's like we did a theme on food, uh, like historic food, but that can pull into our craft beverage industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've done, and that was called Taste and Traditions. Uh, okay. when, when Hamilton exploded, we did a, a Hamilton mm-hmm. theme uh, because we had Schuyler Mansion, but Schuyler right. Mansion couldn't handle or all the tourists coming to their site. You know, they're a small site. So how do you entice somebody who's coming to hear the story of Alexander Hamilton to find other places of Albany to go and experience that and maybe spend a weekend here? Um, but most of your listeners, I think, might know me from tours. So a lot of times I'm out on the streets of Albany doing tours that are different themes. Uh, you know, I know that I do the ghost tours. I did a Hamilton tour, general Albany history. So it's a lot of different hats that I wear. <laughs> um, okay. And it's going to be, it'll be interesting. We'll talk about this in COVID. How do we do the same kind of work 
but it might have to move virtually. You know, right now it's, I can see a lot of things moving virtually. I mean, people, people are becoming content creators all over the place. Yep. And it's fun to see. Not going to lie. It's fun to see. It's like, yeah, embrace the new technology. It you know? is. And you, and um, this is something we, I, I talked to some of the museum educators uh, and one of them said, we're learning a new skill and we're learning it fast mm-hmm. uh, and it's a really uh, for some of these smaller museums that's a that's a really scary thing right like I have to do a zoom meeting like how you know people are doing zoom meetings every week um, and they're becoming more adept at it so you know but then how do we figure out how to take the content that the museums have and they have to figure out well when is an appropriate time to maybe monetize that you know we're still trying to figure that out as well mm-hmm and hey we've got the time to do it right now uh and i have viewed a few of the albany's york state museums videos and they're coming along but one of the things i'm you know thinking to myself as trying to be like a youtuber podcaster all that good stuff one of the Mm -hmm. things i'm running back in my mind is like grab a tripod guy don't hold the phone Mm -hmm. in your hand yeah but that's well, we're learning. You know, we but have people learning. who are trying to figure it out. All right, I know I need to take a video. I have a video camera on my phone. Let's start with this. Fabulous. And the and this is the thing, because, of course, I'm in, like, you know, all the webinars all the time. And all the webinars are saying try things. This is a, a time to try. And a remarkable thing that I'm finding um, is there's a real kindness in the community where we understand we're experimenting. We're understanding sure, that sure. the shaky cam, but, you know, like, okay, maybe a tripod at some point. But I... You know, I'm not seeing, um, on, you know, on the internet, like, you know, on the internet, people aren't always the nicest. But <laughs> I'm not seeing that kind of, um, you know, vitriol or pickiness um, on, on some of this. In fact, we'll, we'll talk about the, uh, the Albany Tulip Festival and the 518 mm-hmm. Tulip Tracker. Um, okay. And uh, there, I did look at the Albany Reddit. I don't mean to put anybody on notice, but mm-hmm. I, I saw that somebody shared it and I held a breath and somebody goes, huh, that's actually sweet. I I wanted to roll my eyes, but they're trying something and that's sweet. And I went, oh, this is a new normal I can get behind. Yes, yes. <laughs> there's, there's so much you can do. And when you start going to, to virtual, and I think this is what people are going to realize very quickly, and it's really going to open their eyes as far as what the potential power of the internet, what the internet was actually intended for and i'll yeah. emphasize the actually intended for <laughs> was that once you start putting these things on youtube or your facebook videos or you're doing the live streams and stuff like that you are not broadcasting strictly to your local area mm-hmm. geography begins to mean much less once you enter the virtual world yeah like your physical location means much less once you enter the virtual space, the cyberspace, whatever you want to call it. So if the Albany Museum is putting stuff up, absolutely make it relevant to the local area, but also just kind of be aware that when you're doing some of these things, the entire planet has the opportunity or potential to be able to view what you're doing, what you're talking about and start a conversation. So this is a very big world that we are actually just making even larger as people enter this space. It's yeah. really exciting. 
And the there is, um, and I think genuine anxiety, uh, really across the world with some of these small museums. It says, well, if I if I put too much out there, will nobody come to me? And what I find it's actually the opposite because one, you can't take take away the authentic experience. Uh, no, and, you know, we still have, you know, we are the generation of social media everywhere, Instagram, you know, all of that. And I find that people, when you give them, and I'm not saying, you know, you put the whole whole tour out there, but if you give them a taste of a room or an enticing story and you put your message out about why this place is important, why my place matters, I find um, that people want to experience it for themselves. Uh, for example, uh, they, you know, with the 518 tulip tracker where we're encouraging people to share pictures of their tulips across uh, Albany for the tulip festival and somebody from Albany rural, um, the historian Paula shared a beautiful headstone that had these tulips on it. And I had never seen it. And yeah. And I said this weekend, I said, I want to find that for myself. Mm -hmm. Yes. I have Paula's picture, but that authentic experience and to see that, you know, so, but it's a hard balance. And that's something that uh, museums, you know, have to kind of figure that out. You know, you don't want to put everything, you're not going to put your whole tour on there. But I think, but I think this virtual tease and putting your message out will get people excited to come when it's safe. Um, Yeah, I think if you do like a little, like a five minute video, Mm-hmm. Put, put some cheerful music in the background. Uh, for those who don't know, YouTube has their own little like creation studio where they do have uh, copyright and royalty free background music that you can use. So you don't have to worry about uh, stealing somebody's music. And it's little happy stuff that you can yeah. put there. Two to th- uh, three to five minutes of just talk about something that's going on. End it right there. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, for the authentic experience. And this is something that I think actually resonates right now with the generation. And I'm going to use the example of the Joker movie. Yeah. Follow me on this one. I'm here. I'm here. For <laughs> so I unfortunately did not see the Joker movie, you know, family trying to try to maintain two tiny humans yeah. <laughs> to keep them alive. So I did not get out to see the Joker movie. I heard amazing things about it, but there is that iconic scene which will prove to be, I believe, an iconic scene in cinema history as time goes on of the Joker coming down those steps. And I think it's Brooklyn doing his dance. Mm-hmm. And rather than just kind of accepting that scenery, people have been flocking to that location in Brooklyn to do this silly stare dance. Yeah. So they'll see something, but it's like, I yeah. want to go there. You know, I want to experience it for myself because, yes, you can get a lot from virtual tours, but it's a mm-hmm. great supplement to certain experiences. But there is nothing like going to the venue or to the location itself. Uh, I was exactly. trying to work with my wife a few years back in developing some online curriculum for the college that she was teaching at for uh, geology field trips where you could just take a walk down a path, go, go through one of the nature preserves, uh, either record the walk, uh, do some panoramic views at specific locations, and you know, upload those to a specific Gmail or Google uh, file or folder, and then you can create curriculums and virtual tours that way. 
it works great. It works fantastically, but it's virtual. And mm-hmm. I, I actually have like one of the few panoramics that I posted to my Google map uh, is in Thatcher Park uh, down by the waterfall. I did a full 360 uh, view of while the waterfall was flowing, it has like several million views. And I'm just like a nobody, but people <laughs> going through Google Maps yeah. uh, happened upon this one panoramic and I just happened to get like the perfect location of it. And uh, I believe it's still up there. And you can see that I'm wearing sandals at the time as I shoes <laughs> on the ground. But like, yeah, that's great and all, but viewing it on your computer screen and actually going to a waterfall yourself two completely different experiences yeah and my hope is uh and and i think i think this is what we'll be moving towards i'm hopeful that the things that are being created um and if you go on our website albany.org uh we do have um uh, a blog that has been collecting a lot of these virtual experiences but my hope is is that you know when covid ends covid19 and it mm-hmm. will end uh, that these types of things are are something that will enhance. It doesn't replace, it enhances because we also have issues with accessibility. You know, not everyone is able to go to the waterfall and to hike Bachelor yes. Park, okay. but this is something, right, that they can have, you know, that you can experience it. So I'm hopeful that a lot of this virtual content that we are creating um, will be able to be paired as a way to things be make things more accessible to uh, a wider group of people so you know not only to get the people who are are able to go and experience for themselves but those who may not be able to um are still able to benefit and it's going to be it's going to be a balance but this is this is how what i'm seeing people develop they're trying to think ahead you know mm-hmm. what the how does this benefit us in the long run not just uh during the pandemic well this is a perfect time to do it because everyone's workload is re- except for the obvious exceptions to that statement i mm-hmm. Not mean to take away from the essential workers mm-hmm. everyone running our hospitals. Oh, please stay safe, people. Please stay safe. Mm-hmm. And everyone who are keeping this country running. But for your common, the, the overarching trend, whatever you want to call it, most people who have their office jobs have reduced workloads right now. And if you are able to, now is the best time to experiment and try to move into these different aspects because we have the time and you can keep your company going. You can keep, you can keep yourself busy as well. Instead mm-hmm. of going stir crazy, you can use this time to develop new skills and new ways of getting your message out there because as time moves on, I've been saying this for the past decade or two, things are continually, continuously getting more virtual and more digital. Mm-hmm. So, this is the way we need to go. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I would love to talk about some of our, our virtual tulip fests, though, as we're talking virtual. I was actually just going to move on there. So uh, in the show notes, we have you know, tourism in Albany. So what are some you know popular things that the, the locals experience? So we've mentioned actually the Tulip Tracker a few times. So let's mm-hmm. get into that. What's, uh, what's going on with the, the Tulip Festival and the Tulip Tracker? 
So uh, the Albany Tulip Festival uh, is one of the biggest draws, uh, not only really for locals, but also tourists as well. Uh, we plant, uh, the city of Albany, I should say, plants uh, something like 80,000 tulips all throughout the city of Albany. Um, and of course... There's a lot of tulips, and they're gorgeous. Uh, and, of course, around the Moses statue in Washington Park, that's kind of the, the crown jewel. Mm. So people, when this, when you know the pandemic occurs and we start canceling things, one of the biggest blows uh, was Tulip Festival being canceled. Uh, it has never been canceled before, even during torrential rain, and which in every Tulip Festival, it has rained at least one day. Uh, and so, and this is a known thing for the locals. This is like, a known, will, yes, everybody knows. It will rain on Tulip Festival. So this was a, a really devastating thing. What a lot of people don't know about the Tulip Festival is the Tulip Festival uh, was created uh, in response to a sister city relationship with our Dutch city in a Dutch city in Nijmegen. Uh, Nijmegen was a Dutch city that it's the uh, oldest Dutch city in the Netherlands. And during World War II, it was absolutely devastated with bombing. Uh, there's a website, Friendship Albany Nijmegen, uh, where you know your listeners can learn more and Discover Albany also did a blog. Uh, but it was absolutely devastated. And Albany, the city of Albany, was identified as a sister city. And the call to action to the citizens of Albany was help Nijmegen rebuild. And uh, we were going to send a relief ship across to help them rebuild. And Mayor Corning threw himself into it. And it's uh, there's on YouTube, there's these wonderful videos where they show, you know, the ship and the, the relief items and uh, how Nijmegen was able to, um, to use these. And some of it is, as people are talking about essential items, some of these are essential items like we think of today, food. But they also had emotional gifts as well. Uh, there would be, you know, like a typewriter and toys. And uh, there were pen pals relationships set up. So people would get a coat. And inside the coat was a note from somebody in Albany. So the sister city relationship blooms. And uh, it's a, there was an article in one of the local Albany newspapers because we wanted to, to celebrate the sister city relationship where uh, they just said, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there was some kind of tulip festival? And before like viral was a, you know, and well now we say viral mm -hmm. or something else. I gotta find another word, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, but you know, be, I mean, it just caught like everybody's imagination. It like people thought this was great. Yes, let's celebrate our Dutch history, not only, you know, from before, but also with this new Nijmegen friendship. And the people of Albany were planting tulips. I mean, it was tulip mania. Uh, the citizens were planting the tulips. Uh, Mayor Corning in the fall, he had uh, classes set up um, where people could learn how to properly plant tulips. And uh, the queen, Queen Wilhelmina, uh, gave us, we were sent tulips uh, to plant, and they identified the orange wonder. They said, this is now the Albany tulip. So it was set up by the citizens. And a lot of people kind of forget that. Like Albany Tulip Festival, like this was a citizen effort and in partnership with uh, the, uh, the city of Albany. So when things, you know, were happening and this was closed, um, and I was uh, talking to our sister city and Nijmegen, uh, Anya, who's the, the leader of FAN, 
And I said, well, so many of us already have our tulips popping up. Is this something that that we could do? And our, our marketing department uh, really threw themselves into it. And we reached out to the city of Albany and it turned out they were thinking something similar. Uh, they're producing videos with Jess Morgan, who is the uh, city gardener and the DGS staff. And they are going to the different tulip beds so people can watch the video, but she's giving also uh, hints and tips on how to care for these spring plants. And so once again, we're all kind of coming together with this. Uh, so we put the call out this week. Uh, you know, if people are walking around, they see tulips or they want to share them, they use the hashtag 518TulipTracker. Nice. Uh, we, we promote it on our social media Tuesday, like Tuesday tulips are kind of our big thing, but <laughs> it could be any week. And we'll be having a bingo card produced sometime this week. And as we talk about our museums, a lot of our small museums like Tenbrook Mansion, Schuyler Hill, Shaker Heritage Site have these amazing gardens. So we have a little bingo card, which we'll be producing this week. Um, by the time this airs, it may even be uh, out where people, okay. can, people can drive around and they can try to visit these wonderful historic sites that they can't get inside just now, but they can still enjoy. Um, and maybe if they complete it, they might get in, entered in to get a prize. So you'll have All to right. follow yeah, albany.org to find out more about that. Okay, definitely. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, add something on there. And yeah. also definitely send me a link as far as you mentioned the for the origin of the Tula Festival with the, the sister city. Definitely send me a link for that. Yeah, I'll definitely. drop that into the show notes as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful story. And, uh, you know, Anya from FAN, uh, when she she really came uh, because that story, even just kind of generationally, we weren't passing it on. And oh, Anya, right, like a lot of people say, oh, I thought it was just for flowers and for the Dutch. And it's like, well, there's more to that, right? Mm -hmm. And so she, um, she's been a force in really getting the story out. Okay. And so... So Tulip Fest is a huge one, and it yeah, we have Washington Park in Albany, and the mm -hmm. place is just covered with tourists, food, well, normally it would be mm -hmm. covered with yeah. <laughs> tulip beds everywhere, like everywhere, and it's a big to-do. Uh, outside of that, what are some other uh, activities or events that draw people to the Albany area? I really think, uh, I mean, we talked a lot about our museums. I'll talk about that forever and ever and ever. Our history is a, is a big thing that draws people into Albany. And that's why I do these tours. I've been doing tours for over 10 years in Albany. Okay. And, but what I find, though, is that people, uh, and this is across the board, people don't want to be a tourist anymore. Uh, we actually use the phrase visitor, right? People want to be a visitor. And that goes for the locals as well. People want authentic experiences. So when I put together a tour, it's usually um, pairing with one of our great local businesses because people... Okay. People want to be, want the local insider. So our distilleries, our craft beverage trail uh, is pretty awesome. Uh, like Albany Pump Station and like people love that. And so you, you'll see me do a tour um, in the summers and whether we do it virtually or not, but uh, Craig Gravina, the Albany beer historian and I mm -hmm. do tours about Albany beer history, but we're also able to highlight some of these uh, great distilleries and breweries as well. Yeah. And 
like if anyone comes to the Albany area, there are a handful of spots and restaurants and areas that I say, if you're coming to visit the area and learn about the local area, definitely hit these locations and the mm-hmm. pump station. Definitely. Yeah. On that list. Uh, can you speak to its history a little bit? Yeah. Uh, the oh, pump station. Right. What's cool is because the, the pump station is in the same building as the Albany pump station or the, uh, the Albany visitor center. So uh, the Albany visitor center and then the Irish museum, which just moved in uh, to the other side of the visitor center and the pump station were all part of an old water pumping station. Uh, that uh, And that water pumping station, we used to pump water up from the Hudson River, uh, and they would pump the water up to what we call Bleecker Stadium today, and this was this was how we were we were getting our drinking water. Uh, and uh, so I believe, and uh, I can also send you the blog because I just uh, wrote a little bit about this. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, but there is, uh, you know, it's basically the mid to late 1800s is that building. Um, and inside, if you go into the pump station, it still has a lot of the original features uh, left over from the old water pumping station, the big cranes. Uh, and Neil Evans, who uh, it's his family, that's because technically the pump station is C.H. Evans Brewery at the Albany pump station. Right. Okay. Right. And, uh, but that's Neil's family is the Evans family and Neil's uh, they, they're um, were originally located in Hudson. And some of your listeners might've gone to Hudson and seen the little building. It still says CH Evans on it, <laughs> uh, but they closed during prohibition a uh, hundred years ago, right? This is the, uh, the hundredth anniversary of uh, prohibition. So he, uh, so he really rebuilt the pump station back um, to this with the restaurant component, and they've been really inspiring. Uh, Sam Pagano, who is the um, the brewer there, he's collaborated with Craig and I on creating historic beers, and you know here it is a hundred years ago, and now they're facing another horrible incident where they have to shut down but they are pushing through and sam is actually doing beer deliveries uh (laughs) you can still order food and things from them delivery wise but if you really just want your pump station beer uh sam is in his car it's his personal cell phone he's putting out there and he is dropping off cans of albany pump station beer and I just find it so remarkable that this, like, you know, this Evans, <laughs> the Evans group, you know, they just, nothing is, is stopping them from doing this. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, okay. So one more bit on uh, tourism into Albany. And I, I love this. So you're going to have to uh, explain this mm-hmm. one. The question was simply, is the capital region known for anything? Hmm. Yes. And I, I could go on and on and on, but I figured what is topical today and really has influenced all the world is uh, our friend, friend Seth Wheeler, who invented perforated toilet paper. Uh, per, you know, so that's the convenient world. Okay. The welcome welcome world. <laughs> yes. So it is like perfect squares, right? Uh, originally, so this is dating back uh, 1891. And uh, it it was, from what I understand, though, it was actually for wrapping paper. So the original idea was that you'd have perforated wrapping paper, and then this kind of rolled into, no pun intended, you know, into <laughs> the perforated toilet paper. And uh, there's been 
kind of really interesting that this story has been pushed a lot. There's been a couple articles in the Times Union. Uh, Duncan Crary and Troy just put out uh, a piece on it. And uh, a friend of mine, um, Matt Millette with Albany Archives, uh, a couple years ago, he did a Spectrum uh, News uh, piece on it. And I can send you the, the link to those as well. Oh, absolutely. But, here, but there is a secret tradition that very few people know. And some people, and I don't know who's doing this, right? A lot of people think, because I tell the story, that it's me. It is not me doing this. <laughs> but on uh, Mr., the day that Mr. Wheeler died, somebody has started a tradition. His home is on Lark Street. And if you know the date that he died and you walk by, there's somebody who's putting a roll of toilet paper and flowers on the stoop. Uh, so I looked up the death day and it is in May. And I'm wondering if whoever this mysterious person is, um, you know, toilet paper is so valuable now. <laughs> like, I mean, is the tradition going to go on? But it reminds me in, uh, you know, near Poe, Edgar Allan Poe's grave, there's a mysterious person who used to show up cloaked with like a, a bottle of liquor and set a rose. and. Oh, yeah, well, Albany has somebody who is sneaking like this tradition to Seth Wheeler. Um, and I have a picture of it I, that I have caught it. Um, it is a thing. I don't know who's doing it. But just so you know, keep an eye out in May. But I suspect that to, this year, I don't know how long it's going to last. I think if they do it, it's somebody's just going to yoink it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Just for times, just for times. But the tradition yeah. must go on. Yes, the tradition must go on. Audible.com is giving listeners of this podcast the opportunity to try out their service for free. Simply visit audibletrial.com slash VGXDPod and select from over 180,000 titles for your first audiobook, such as Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. The Emperor Needs Necromancers. The Ninth Necromancer Needs a Swordswoman. Gideon Has a Sword, Some Dirty Magazines, and No Time for Undead Nonsense. Once again, go to audible.com slash VGXTPod and start your free trial today. All right, so moving on into some gaming and geekery type stuff, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Mm -hmm. uh, I really don't need to give much more of an intro other than that. And I am of the type of gamer where if I played it in the past, I am very unlikely to play a remake of it. However, mm -hmm. I love the fact that they did a remake of it. Yeah. And it's so, been 20 years. Oh. <laughs> it's been 20 years. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I think yeah, it might even be more than that. But yeah, potentially. Actually, yes, more than that. Because it came out before 2000. I believe I was still in high school at the time yeah. when it first came out. Mm -hmm. So, uh, And, and it's yeah, and I watched my husband, you know, he didn't play it. I, I watched him just play it a couple months ago before the remake came out. Um, okay. Did yeah. you play the, the demo when it came out? Oh, I played it over oh. and over. <laughs> <laughs> so I did play the demo because I'm mm -hmm. like, I, I cannot be a member of the gaming community and not even download the demo like that mm. i just I'd, I'd have to stop podcasting <laughs> if I <were> <laughs> yeah i mean come on now come yeah on we now. would judge you hard yo oh, big time <laughs> rightfully so so <laughs> i have no intent in purchasing the game but that is because i did play it to its completion mm -hmm. back in the day and one of the reasons why i love remakes uh, is because if you were to play the original final fantasy 7 today 
those graphics are harsh mm-hmm. on your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> they are really yeah. harsh. And uh, your main character is in a bright purple suit, which, yeah, right. uh, you know, it's it, translating to modern graphics could look a little silly. Yeah. And well, also, and what my main concern was when they first announced that they were going to do this remake, however many years ago, was that. I don't see many RPGs using the turn-based combat anymore. Yeah, that was a bummer. Um, although I'm watching uh, my husband Seth play Persona Five, and that's that does that actually? Oh, does it? No, well, not 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 the same way that Seven did, but okay. a little a little closer. Where I was like, oh wow, this this sort of like taking a moment to to take in you know your moves. You know, it's not exactly, you know, I'm, I'm not, I know somebody's going to write an angry note. It's not really turn-based, uh, you know. Okay, whatever. Yeah. But, in, yeah, but in comparison to, you know, what they've done with the remake, which is much more uh, like 15. Um, they, they did find a way, though, you know, because they slow down time so that when you, you know, if you want to figure out a potion, and I'm an absolute button masher, you know, say what you will, I'm an absolute, like, crazy <laughs> gamer button mashing, and it is forgiving enough that I can pause, I can look around, I can kind of, and so I, I appreciate that, but, oh, I'd love a good turn base again oh i actually so my son lucas was born in october and i knew that i was going to be spending many long nights uh just up with a sobbing newborn so Mm -hmm. i actually downloaded uh onto my phone chrono trigger oh yeah and that kept me entertained for quite a bit Mm -hmm. and so i was able to get a lot of my turn-based nostalgia fix and through that but what i have noticed in games that are more action more fast-paced that do require more strategy uh, and i'm thinking of the dragon age franchise mm. right now is yep. that they will allow you to like pause the action like you sure you can take forever but like nothing's happening at this point and yeah advance time slowly like we'll, we'll give you a moment to figure out what it is because there's a lot of menus to cycle through there's a lot of things to kind of mm-hmm. map out and plan out we, we understand that and you know it's fiction all right we're not going to make you cycle through all those menus while you're in a firefight it's <laughs> right and this is a, you know and i um you know, as I've gotten older, I don't have as much time to, you know, to game as what I would do. All and right. because of that, and it kind of goes back to our earlier point, uh, it's why I just don't have time to do Dark Souls. Like, I need to feel cool when I'm playing a video game. <laughs> <laughs> and Dark Souls, everyone I know who played it is just, and I think I played a little bit of it. I'm like, I don't need to feel bad about myself. (laughs) I want to feel cool. I want to, you know, know what I'm doing in terms of strategy and like Mm -hmm. take my time. Um, I want to enjoy the game. (laughs) So, so how much of the original Final Fantasy VII is in this first installment? Like, how far does it go along? Um, it's pretty. So I would say the story beats are the same. Uh, I think some people could argue that there is some padding. I don't mind it, but I could see I, I can see the argument so far. Okay. But as of right now, I would say if I, you know, made an outline of, you know, Final Fantasy VII, just the headline of what happens and then put it next to remake, 
it's pretty close. Now they yeah. are doing things like expanding the characters of the avalanche, um, Group, so you learn more about, about Jesse okay. and Biggs and all them. Uh, Wall Market took me forever uh, because Wall Market was pretty problematic. <laughs> but now they've really done a lot to, uh, I guess, wokeify it. You know, they 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 tried to make it uh, a little less problematic. Okay. Uh, but I but I was also taking my time with it, where you know I didn't want to leave. I wanted to explore. I wanted to do all this. Um, where, you know, I'm wondering when my husband who for a while we were playing back to back, but I would get really annoyed if he would try to get ahead of me. And that's why he downloaded Persona. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is my game. I waited for this game. So, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I have a feeling when he plays it, he might rush through a little bit more of this, not only because he saw me do it, but I don't know, the nostalgia was just mm. really fun for me. But yeah, I would say so far, and again, I'm only on chapter 12, they haven't done anything that has completely, you know, deviated off script yet. That may, okay. that may change. All right. Well, you know, from the amount of effort that they've put into it, and like I said, yeah. I played the demo, and it is so gorgeous. It it's is so beautiful. beautiful. It is of the level that you would expect a Square game to be at. Because mm -hmm. I've seen a bunch of their, I hesitate to call them remasters, because they're pretty much just kind of an up version of the original yeah. game. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, Square, you're, you're doing a quick money grab. I get it. People are going to spend money for it. I get it. Sure. Mm -hmm. But this, this is a complete recreation of the world in a modern engine. And like, from what yeah. I understand, they couldn't use any of their old assets because it's the content. <laughs> it was just so old. Yeah. It's uh, the one thing I will say, having um, played 15, 15s with Noctis, right? Because I don't, yes. I don't play the other. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you can see that 15 was the trial for the combat. Okay. So, yeah, so I do get that sense that, uh, and if you put Noctis and Cloud and even Lightning, the three of them, I'm like, oh, you're, you might be using, <laughs> using this <laughs> your main character. But they, um, but you can definitely get the feel that 15, which was not a perfect game, I liked it, but I'm not going to fight anybody if they don't like it because I can see oh, the, sure. the issues. But you can see that the, that was, they were playing with what, the combat is in remake and remake is all the good things about 15 and all the bad stuff out the window. And, and uh, that's, that's what I've noticed so far. Well, you know what respect for reusing what worked well and not using what did not work. So yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. doing it correctly. If that's sure. the case. Yeah. All right. So next, we're going to do a little bit of the Capital Region Unlocked, the quick segment where I talk about gaming in the Capital Region of New York, because we had a lot of stuff going on right yeah. here locally. So the main thing I want to talk about is, unfortunately, going back to the impact of the pandemic. Uh, and you did actually mention earlier that there is the general tourism of Albany and also another arm of Discover Albany about bringing conventions and events to the mm -hmm. area. So we got a few going on and let's just talk about a few of those real quick. So a few that I've been following that I was going to make appearances at were going to be Genericon at RPI, which unfortunately mm -hmm. was too early in the cap too early in the calendar year and had to get canceled. 
So we're seeing, I mean, that's just the trend right now. Like anything that was in the near future, they just said, okay, you know what, guys, we're going to have to cut our losses on this. There's no way we can keep this going. Let's just, let's just be real. It's not going to happen. Yep. And two other events, we have the Hudson Valley GamerCon, which actually got postponed. So that was actually supposed to be, it might have actually supposed to have been this past weekend, if I remember some of their advertisement correctly. And we're in like, you know, we're at the peak. (laughs) Or Yeah, we're either at the peak or we're like just crested the peak and we're in the plateau. So uh, that obviously had to get either canceled or what they did was postponed. And I believe it's now scheduled for September. Yes. Yes. So this is uh, September 12th and 13th. Okay. So did discover Albany have a hand in this? Yeah, we have. um, Yeah. So we have like a a services team. uh, So that's Deb Gedeke who, uh, you know, we try to help as best we can. So I would very much assume, and like I said, it's not my office, but when we okay. have these staff meetings, uh, they're the ones reporting to us right away. You know, we're trying to connect them with, uh, you know, these contracts, right? I mean, people have contracts mm-hmm. with uh, partners and whatnot and trying to facilitate those conversations. And uh, yeah, so, and we were one of the first, I remember when Jay, our, our sales manager was, was hired, he came in and he was talking, esports and we were like what are you what mm-hmm. um so, so part of it was discover albany identifying that this was a market and it was going to be a huge market so trying to court a lot of these gamer cons to get them to come to entice them to come here and uh and then giving you know helping build these resources to then make it enticing for visitors to come and um you know, come and, and participate as well. But yeah, so I would very much assume that, uh, and on our website, we've got a, a microsite uh, for Hudson Valley GamerCon, and you can see Deb's picture at the end. Nice, that, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. So very much um, trying to get the information out uh, to uh, visitors who might come in. You know, we, we do the best we can to get that information out and to support the people who are organizing these great conventions. And I was able to have Kiernan Enzer on last year uh, to help oh. promote the GamerCon. And yeah, he echoed the same kind of uh, comments where a lot of people may not, like, people outside the gaming community, I should mm-hmm. say, don't recognize or don't take seriously the impact or the reach of esports. So he had to you know, talk to people and say, you know, these events are selling out and not just at your local little, you know, concert venue or bar, like the world championships in esports are selling out the Barclay center yeah. in New York city. All and right. there's sponsorship, big sponsorship for esports. Big money going on over here. Mm-hmm. And it's, I joke about this with a few friends of mine and I say stuff like, Listen, I don't care what type of person you are. You can shun and mock and scoff at esports all you want. But if you want to be a business person and you hear the term sold out, mm-hmm. you need to take that seriously. You need to take it very seriously. And it was cool that uh, Discover Albany, like the sales team, recognized it and yeah, were lucky to, to link up with uh, Hudson Valley GamerCon to say, like, yes, like this is something that are not only is it um, – 
you know, yes, because in general, you could say, yes, you know, well, it sells out, but we also have a region where it can sell out. We have, you know, RPI and UAlbany and Siena College, uh, who, you know, these colleges that are have really bought into this as well. So not only is it something that, yes, it's popular worldwide, but our region is also a region that can really market to those uh those esports athletes do we call them athletes um, yes yep. they are referred to as athletes yep yeah so you know that's uh that's a big thing so i know that's something that discover albany you know it's it's you know having it's it makes me happy to hear that you know hudson valley gamer con is postponed right now yes. um that i i just you know i really hope we're still able you know september mm. is, a, is still a good time to do that yeah. Uh, a few other notes that we have here. The Empire Game Expo is currently scheduled for July, and I've been in contact with them, and mm-hmm. they are still holding on track. Yep. They are going to reevaluate what's going on uh, in June. But for now, it's you know July, I want to say, not 11th and 12th. Yes, 11th and 12th. Mm-hmm. It's uh, egxalbany.com has all the information. So for the time being, they're holding on to their current state. And if I may plug myself a little bit, I'm actually going to be moderating a discussion panel at uh, Empire Game Expo. Oh, awesome. I've got, yeah, I've got a couple other podcasters that are coming on with me, and we're going to discuss uh, mental health aspects as far as how – it impacts the gaming community. Mm-hmm. So I got a few people, uh, Average Joe from the Guardians Mental Health Podcast. I got Chris Maselli, who's a longtime podcaster, and a friend of mine, Motier Haskins, who was on the show um, a couple of months ago, who, although he's not a podcaster, he is a, a school counselor who's also an avid gamer. So we got quite the panel that we're going to be able to have a lot of info on or mm-hmm. tap for info. Well, it'll be very interesting in post-COVID um, how that conversation goes, because even, oh, you yeah. know, that was my husband and I's instinct, like we're going to download a Sega game and just, you know, and that's what we're going to do for our mental health. So I think you'll have a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah, there's going to be so much to talk about. And this one I'm particularly excited for because I've been going to a few of the Comic-Cons and other kind of geek culture events. Mm-hmm. But now that we have like the GamerCon and the Game Expo, these are more specifically video game centric. And I'm really beginning to find my place with those events in particular. So yeah. on a personal uh, level, I'm like, yay. yay. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you never imagine as a kid, you know, I never thought this kind of geek culture would, uh, you know, blow up like it has. Oh, no. Uh, and I've, yeah, I bring that up almost every episode. It still yeah. blows my mind. And you've got a few other links that you added to the show notes. And in particular, one I want to quickly mention is for from the CEG, the Center of Economic Growth. Mm-hmm. I see something for Game On New York. Yeah, so uh, this was, uh, again, what our sales team, when I when I said I was coming on this podcast, and they were like, that's great. And uh, they sent me this link from the Center for Economic Growth. And a lot of it is there is an, an advocacy, there is a political angle to what's happening, um, you know, with this growth of the gaming industry. So not only did we say for esports, we're, you know, an attractive area because of all of the college students, but there was the list of all of the gaming companies that have come in, right? We've got like WB Games and First Playable. Uh, you had, I did a podcast with Velen Studios. 
so we have uh, tax credits available, uh, you know, statewide for like Film Albany. That's another arm of Discover Albany. Okay. So, so, you know, that is if you're going to um, film in New York State, you know, then you get uh, tax credits. And that's to, to bring a creative economy there. So shouldn't there be a video game tax credit, right? So we have, right? The, doesn't that make sense that to bring in, um, you know, independence, startups, uh, young creators, and stimulate the creative economy? Um, so there's a really, the website's pretty cool, but, you know, to push this, this advocacy as well uh, for a video game production tax credit. Yeah, and I'm, I've joked with you know, on Twitter when you have the global reach or you know beyond your local reach as far as certain platforms are concerned, I will joke about how there are tons of movie and TV scenes that are filled filmed in Albany that look like like a big major city. Mm-hmm. Uh, salt, oh, yeah, Salt, and uh, oh, the other guys. Right? What's that? Yes. Uh, the other guy that's filmed here, yep. I was going to say Punisher series. For oh, Punisher Netflix. series, yep. Right. So we have that one. It's all on the same exchange on I uh, seven eighty seven, yep. where you have all the clovers and the the roundabout stuff, and everything's all twisted. It's, it's really just one section of Albany roads yeah. major, but it it works so well for all well, different production crews. And we can really thank Salt a lot for that. And again, Deb Gedeke from uh, Discover Albany, and she also keeps an eye on, she runs the Film Albany arm of Discover Albany. And that image, like that using Salt, I mean, that was huge because the film industry, everybody knows each other, everybody talks. So when something like Salt was filmed here and they have a great experience, then you get the other guys, then you get the Punisher. And uh, so that's another thing that Discover Albany promotes is because, of course, we want film here because film comes with their crew and then they have to book a hotel to put everybody in. Um, So it's also we promote our region as Mm -hmm. this is a great place for creatives, for our film, for our video game industry. You know, we were we want to promote that this is a really great place to be. And you bring up a really good point as far as the business aspect is concerned. And this is something that I have continued to learn as I started blogging many years ago and I do this podcast a little bit more. It is so much more than just one or two people. So when we say Mm -hmm. that John Bernthal was filmed in Albany for scenes of The Punisher, it's more than just John and a dude with a camera. There are massive crews that have to come out. There are the other supporting actors that have to come out. Everything that goes along with that level of production, those people physically come here and they're going to be here for a while. So yeah, they're going to need stuff to do. They're going to need a place to stay. They're going to need a place to eat. They're going to need a place to unwind. And all of that is money that is coming from outside of the area and contributing to the local economy. Exactly. Yeah. So you get it. (laughs) I I get it. And I try to explain it as best I can. (laughs) That is fantastic. And again, I had so many links are going to be in these show notes. So many yes. links. 
Yes, we, um, the one thing when you asked us to be on, on the podcast and I brought up to our staff, Discover Albany, we love to brag about our region. We think it's the best. Uh, we don't just say it because we're paid to say it. I mean, we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't love it. Uh, so yeah, I can, I can talk about, you know, Albany and the capital region all day and I'll give you all the links to study. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Okay, we're going to move into the final segment of this episode. We're going to get into the questions. And we actually have a internet question. And this is coming from the Facebook page. And this is from Stephen Hennel. And he asks, hashtag ask VGXT, between Red 13 and Kate Sith, or how are we going to pronounce this? Well, I mean, we're American, so Kate Sith. <laughs> but if you're a snob, it's a Scottish Kate She or Kit She. But I think we're going to go with Kate Sith. Okay, so <laughs> because I'm an ugly American. And, uh, <laughs> yes, we're, we're going to say it American. Okay. Uh, who would be your Jellicle choice for, at the Jellicle Ball? And I have to admit, I had to look up what the Jellicle Ball was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, And Steve, I think, put this to throw me. But as I I said, oh, no, I I have an answer ready for this. Um, So this is is a reference to the the musical Cats. Uh, And whether you have seen the musical or you've seen the movie, uh, I will just kind of sum up is that, you know, all of the alley cats have come together for the Jellicle Ball. Nobody knows what a Jellicle Cat is. We don't need to get into that. But the Jellicle Cats show up for this gathering and the uh, old Deuteronomy cat is going to choose one cat to go to the, the heaviside layer layer. I'm probably saying that wrong, which is basically <laughs> cat heaven. Okay. So, so I guess what to break down Steven's question is uh, which cat is going to be chosen to move on to cat heaven. And I, you know, I'm giving it some thought and the obvious question answer would be Red 13 uh, because he does seem to be the better of the two cats uh, where, you know, but the thing is about Kate Sith is that he has a redemption story and spoilers for the musical cats. uh, The cat that is chosen is the cat, uh, Grizabella, who has the redemption story and she is the one who is chosen to go. So I think that if Kate Sith is able to pull out a ballad like memory that moves all the Jellicle cats, then he may go. Now, if you're being fussy though, I guess, Spoiler alert, Kate Sith is technically not a cat. So they're, you know, they're a robot. So, you know, there could be some fine print. But, you know, I think I think Kate Sith is sneaky enough that he could trick all the Jellicle cats uh, to then go to cat heaven. Oh, yeah. He thought Excellent. that was going to throw me. I was, I, was, I was born for that question. There was no throwing to be had. None. I caught it. <laughs> And yeah, I have not watched the musical nor the movie, but uh, my answer is going to be much shorter. (laughs) (laughs) No, I am going Red 13 just for the sheer badassery factor. Well, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Okay, so moving into the final five questions of this episode to wrap it up. These questions range from irrelevant to irreverent. The first two are always the same and the last three have a theme. Here we Mm -hmm. go. First question. 
coffee or tea? So pre-COVID, it was tea, uh, and specifically, it was vanilla tea. Um, so it was this beautiful smell. It really zenned me out for the day. Uh, but in the post-COVID, it is coffee because uh, I make a pot of, co- of coffee for my husband, and then there's a wasted pot of coffee. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been drinking coffee with him, but I've been adding chocolate to it in the past week, and that's been lovely. Oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. Yeah, we are big coffee drinkers over here. We'll drink uh, tea on occasion, but definitely starting the day with a pot of coffee. And when we were doing our stockpiling before we went Mm -hmm. into our quarantine, we were looking around and we thought, you know, we usually buy some of the – the higher end coffees, just because mm-hmm. you know, we have the opportunity, we you know enjoy our coffees. But we're yeah. going to be home a lot, and yeah. <laughs> now is not the time to be a coffee snob, as far as we're right. concerned. That, that so, was it. I was getting fancy coffees. I'm like, you know what? It's Folger, so I'm actually becoming less picky about my coffee in the post-COVID world. Yes, the big old red tub. Tub of yep. coffee. <laughs> it's just sent by the maker. Yeah, we'll we'll just deal with it. We we yep. just need the coffee to be able to get up and do something. Exactly. So, yeah. Second question. So we know you play video games. Do you play any tabletop games? I do. Uh, in fact, for uh, before this happened, we had a uh, bi-weekly board game night, or uh, nice. uh, and I'm going to be made fun of by my coworkers, uh, Dungeons and Dragons night. Uh, we were we were uh, being taught how to play that. But my favorite tabletop game, uh, just traditional board game, is uh, Betrayal on the House of the Hill. I love that game. I have not played that one yet. Oh, it's the but best. I hear great things about it. Definitely hear it great things really about fun. it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, go in with people who have uh, a sense of humor. So the, the one thing I find, if you have that person <laughs> who's a stickler for all of the rules, you might have a bad time. But my particular group of, uh, you know, board game friends, you know, we're relaxed. Um, we're okay, mm-hmm. you know, because every scenario at the end can be different. Not all of them are good. Um, <laughs> but but we'll, we'll, we can roll with it and we can laugh about it. Uh, and then there's a, a spinoff of it, which is a, a Baldur's Gate, a uh, betrayal at Baldur's Gate, which will we'll venture oh, nice. into the top. That one's really fun, too. Nice. All right. So moving into the final three, since you are with Discover Albany and you know quite a bit about the local area, the last three questions are all going to be focused in and around Albany. So okay. question number three. Did you celebrate on the rooftops when we finally got an exit three on I-87? <laughs> Ah, yes. I, um, I'm going I'm to shock everybody. I was indifferent to exit three um, <laughs> because I am a city of Albany girl. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I, I try to avoid the highway. And yet when I finally took that exit three, it is a dream. It is great. It makes a big difference. You know, I was able to get to the Desmond Hotel for an event and I can get to the airport and Shaker Heritage Society and so I get it. I get yes. it. I was I didn't know I was missing it until I finally took it. Now the background for all this, because I have listeners, you know, far and wide. Yep. Uh, up here in New York, we have a very annoying uh, exit numbering system where we just go straight sequentially. The rest of the country uses mile markers for their exits, but we're New York, apparently. So we go one, two, three, four, five, six, all the way up. And for the longest time, I guess it was supposed was it supposed to go to the 
not like the Capital Plaza originally? Mm, I'm not sure. Okay, but the short of it is our exits going up I-87 starting in Albany went one, two, four. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we had no exit three. It's this is this is going to date me a little bit is that there was even a McDonald's commercial and McDonald's did these regional um, these regional commercials where they would the guy would give the girl a coffee if she could answer like answer like five local questions. One of them was how to pronounce the Kosciuszka Bridge and the (laughs) other was what is the missing exit and it was exit yeah, well, or like something. Yes, but I remember that. Not yep. many people actually do remember that. I'm like, no, I swear to you, McDonald's did hyper regional coffees, and mm-hmm. it was something either that or like, what's exit three on the Northway? And the response is, there isn't one. There isn't so, one. Yes, <laughs> I, probably how I learned about it too. I think that might have been the first time because I wasn't driving that I, right. I learned that particular fact. Yeah, and suddenly everyone in the car just went, "Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, moving on. Question number four. Uh, do you a, answer truthfully or lie as much as your tourists mm-hmm. will allow you to? Uh, do you roll your eyes a bit when you mention to someone while you're out of state that you're from New York and they just assume New York City? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. No, because then, then it gives me a chance to then nerd out about Albany until they go uh, away. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. You don't know that we have the oldest operating city charter, Albany, New York, da, 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 and then they just walk away. And, you know, I got my fix. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, but that is that is a struggle for those of us in upstate where it's like, yeah, I'm in New York. Oh, well, my sister's cousin's yeah. college roommate's daughter. No. Like, oh. Yeah. But, no, I roll right. with it. I roll with it. Okay. Final question. What is your response when someone says that there's nothing to do around town? Uh, then I say you're not looking. Um, so that is a very common thing when people say Albany is so boring. And one of the most heartbreaking things for me during the pandemic right now is spring and summer in Albany uh, and fall as well. If you... Uh, are bored and can't find something to do, you haven't looked because, you know, the big thing is narrowing down. What do you like to do? Do you like music? And we have so much free music. You know, we have the Alive at Five Summer Concert Series. Schenectady has free music. There's tons to do there. Do you like theater? You have Park Playhouse. We have this huge, robust community theater um, scene in Albany and Capitol Rep. Uh, do you like movies? You know, we have the palace. We have all of these these great things. The Madison Theater just opened up. Um, so that's what I always say. There's websites like ours, Albany.org, where you can see event listing, Nipper Town, um, you know, and then, of course, our museums. Oh, my gosh, our history and museums. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've you got me talking about those. Mm-hmm. But then here's the heartbreak then. Now we have the pandemic and this is what we have to reimagine. How are we going to engage in these things? And people are starting to do that. Um, If you follow Albany events, uh, musicians are doing the covers project where they're doing, uh, they're doing their own covers and sharing it. Last weekend, uh, there was a mini virtual concert series uh, that was raising money for, um, I believe the food bank. And uh, this uh, today, today, or I guess, you know, Thursday, um, mm-hmm. from when we recorded this, the Albany Center Gallery, um, Tony, who's the executive director there, is going to be giving uh, mural tours uh, with his phone. Oh, so, beautiful. 
Yeah. So, and Park Playhouse right now, they they had to cancel Evita, but they're hoping that they can move forward with their their family show. So this is what's going to be interesting because there is so much to do in Albany. The creativity is through the roof. And what we're watching right now is how are these creative experiences, how are they going to be reimagined? Um, and I think we'll do it because I'm seeing it. I'm talking to them. We're going to do it. But, uh, you know, follow Albany.org. Uh, we're trying to share. But it's going to look very different this summer. I think what the cultural shift needs to be, and this is just me being completely unscientific with nothing to back up these statements, but what I would like to see as a cultural shift is that not everything has to be a blockbuster. Hmm. You do like not everything needs to be a world tour that comes to the times union center or the egg or something like that. Not everything needs to be the biggest names in show business because we have so much independent excuse me we have so much independent art we have so much independent music we have so much independent theater that if you can shift your focus from strictly national level x into more regional or local talent there is no end to things that you can do on like nearly any day of the week there's a, a great page to follow, um, uh, e-quarantine theater, uh, and it's, and it's, but they're promoting a different local, um, uh, a different local theater. And I'll give a shout out to Steve, uh, even though he doesn't deserve it. Uh, his first, first <laughs> one of the first quarantine theaters was, uh, Steve's a playwright and he wrote a play and raised money for confetti stage. And so people, we have these local actors week to week are, uh, doing putting out new works and raising money for these independents. Um, so we'll see that. And right now it's the talking heads of Zoom, but I think creatives are going to start to get frustrated with that and they're going to come up with something better. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really moved right now in the past you know week or two. Again, if we did this podcast two or three weeks ago, I might cry and just like, I don't, I miss everybody. (laughs) But I'm really seeing these uh, creatives push forward and showing how dynamic our community is and also using these resources to raise money for uh, the the communities that need it. Right. Fantastic. And that is all the time we have for this episode. Roll the standard end of show plugs. You can find the show notes, which contain contact links for all topics discussed, which there's going to be a lot of them this time, and all previous episodes at videogamecrosstalk.com, as well as all the social media contacts and occasional blog posts. You can follow me around on Twitter, Instagram, PS, pretty much everywhere at hypersyntax, H-Y-P-3-R-S-I-N-T-4-X. As for my guest, Maeve, where can our beautiful listeners follow either you or Discover Albany around? Uh, They can follow us on uh, Discover Albany's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, We're all over there. Um, And you can sometimes find me on the original Albany Ghost Tour uh, Facebook page, although I usually don't update that until October. Uh, And the next time you'll see me is with the Historic Albany Foundation. We'll be doing a reading of Turn of the Screw. uh, And it's a little book club, and you can follow me there, too. All right. Please don't forget to like, review, subscribe, and share this podcast over all your social media accounts, and we can be found on pretty much every podcast listening service. The podcast audio automatically gets pushed out to YouTube, and yes, I have finally started making my Destiny lore videos, and it has been a blast, and I've been learning quite a bit about uh, narration and video editing and doing so, so it's been a lot of fun. And to wrap this all up in the words of Dr. Seuss, 
You're never too old, too wacky, too wild to pick up a book and read to a child. <laughs>